Hello, listeners, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. It is pre-season, so we are officially into season three now, and we have got a special treat for you today, not just because it's the first day of the new season, not just because we're going to be talking about a very exciting transfer window and a few transfers already seen, possibly a few transfers to come as well, but also because we have an extra special guest on the show this week. I'm very excited to introduce a man who you may well be familiar with as the star of the TIFO Football Podcast and indeed the new host of the TIFO Football Podcast, tactics guru, renowned disciple of Marcelo Bielsa and of course a connoisseur of out of possession play. My pleasure to introduce John McKenzie. John, welcome to the Plus Day Podcast. How are you? Uh, thank you very much. It's uh, yeah, lovely to hear all that. Nice to hear you calling me a disciple of Marcelo Bielsa. <laughs> As I like to think of it, everyone is a disciple of Marcelo Bielsa. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Somewhere <laughs> down the line, you can connect the dots. Absolutely. That's right. Be- before we get any further, a very important question I must know, and I think all our listeners want to know, do you have a favourite Spurs player? We are here to talk about Tottenham from times gone by or from present day. Well, you might be surprised to learn that my favourite player of all time is a Spurs player. Wow. I don't know if that's allowed as a Leeds fan, but I have a very, very, very soft spot for Moussa Dembele. Oh, that's, that's, um, they say there's no correct answer to a question like that, but I feel like that is still the correct answer. You've instantly won yeah. us all over with that. Care to elaborate? Yeah. Yeah, just an incredible footballer who I think was at the forefront of that group of players who people didn't realise why they were so good until he sort of came around. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, now people talk about those kind of players all the time. But yeah. yeah, just the sheer influence that guy had over the teams that he played on and the fact that everyone who ever talked about or has ever asked the question who's the best player you ever played with it, yeah. it was just no shadow of a doubt this guy's straight up bang so yeah real soft spot for him absolutely well, I had a feeling you were going to say some kind of defensive midfielder so you didn't let me down there and that's an excellent answer uh, <laughs> more answer. from John in just a moment but before we come back to him I just want to introduce the rest of my team here today first of all I'm Dags I'm our regular host you guys hopefully are familiar with my voice but for anyone new and anyone who's missed us over the summer I'd like to introduce the rest of my team starting with a man who has been called the Plus Dave Podcast's answer to Roy Keane a man who I've known my entire life and who I most credit slash blame with my indoctrination into this cult we call Tottenham Hotspur. Pushing 30 seasons a season to get hold of now, it is the one and only Elio Piliotis. Elio, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, um, not bad at all. Rejuvenated after a few weeks without Spurs, which I think we can probably all yeah. agree with. I think even Dave is happy for a few weeks without Spurs and that's with what happened to Leeds last <laughs> season. That's, uh, that's how bad we were. But I can't help but notice you've added a little bit of gravel to your voice with your introduction are you going the way of martin tyler with a bit of a it's live now that he's <laughs> retired maybe, maybe trying to steal the the personality yeah. type for yourself now <laughs> well it's the introductions maybe it's more of a kind of bruce buffer type thing you know fighting out of yorkshire leeds now well, we'll go on to well, that we'll save, we'll save so, the best last i particularly enjoyed with john's dembele love there the fact that obviously dave is one of mr dembele's biggest supporters as well our, our resident he leeds is, fan is one of the biggest champions of what dembele did for us and was a lover of Dembele long before we were having idolised him as a Fulham player when he used to go to Craven Cottage so I feel like this is already tying up to be probably the greatest podcast any football podcast has ever released fantastic or it could be really dull because we'll just agree on everything (laughs) (laughs) zero arguments yep that was right 
<laughs> we could just assign a half an hour section to talk about Mr. Dembele, which I'd be okay with, but probably for the best we don't. Um, moving on to our next guest. So as if one Piliotis wasn't enough, we have the younger, um, I was going to say better looking cousin, but I thought that might be a little bit harsh, but it is a fellow victim of Elio's indoctrination, <laughs> a man who has not only the best name in Spurs podcasting, but perhaps the best hair as well. It is Socrates Piliotis. Socks, welcome. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Just to sort of follow off from Elio, I'm kind of astounded how just a few weeks ago towards the back end of the season I was saying I'm worried Spurs are heading down a tunnel towards a sort of inevitable relegation and then watching <laughs> Andy Postacoglu's press conference earlier today I just left with the words you know I love you daddy I just want to hug you and all this sort of stuff so it's absolutely remarkable how my mood has changed over the past four to six weeks and all of a sudden I'm kind of itching to stay up until God knows what hour and watch us in pre-season so yeah good to be back. Now I have it on good authority in that you've straight up told me that you're a big fan of the TFO football podcast are you a slightly starstruck to have John on the show today are you going to be okay you're going to hold it together uh, I was alright until you just put me on the spotlight now and then I just felt like a, a, a minor heart palpitation my heart is doing things it hasn't normally done but I think I'll be okay yeah I imagine you get that a lot John so it's fine we'll, we'll just we'll just smooth right past that shall we <laughs> and, uh, and finally last but by no means least the man without whom this podcast quite simply could not exist or well at least it might just need a new name all the way from Leeds in Yorkshire it is our resident outside influence our groups troll it is the Leeds fan Leeds Dave Jameson Dave welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast how are you today I'm well I'm well Socks thanks for having me again I thought this might have been the first <laughs> one of you trying to nudge me out did you just call me Socks <laughs> sorry sorry Dax uh, I thought this might be you trying <laughs> to nudge me out to be the honest the pressure's getting to exactly everyone. well yeah I feel under pressure I feel like you know I'm being supplanted as we speak you know you're looking for a Premier League <laughs> Leeds fan and I'm clearly not that so but uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's either that or it's an incredible risk because you've got two Leeds fans on here that you could end up with just riffing off about Chilina and Bielsa and Ken Bates and you won't get a word in edgeways. I mean, it's worth mentioning that on any given episode, there's a significant risk that at any window we will veer off into a Leeds tangent. So I feel like that's now immediately doubled, which is fine and I'm okay with it, but we'll just see how we get on. Uh, today, we're obviously going to talk about Tottenham Hotspur if we can help it and try and stay on topic. We're going to talk about the window so far. Obviously, we're going to have a little look into Ange Postacoglu and his tactics and John's kindly agreed to join us and help talk through that and what Spurs might look like next season under Ange and of course some of the changes that are happening in the window the video in fact that prompted me to get in touch with John and ask him to join us today was his excellent Sensible Transfers video recently about Tottenham Hotspur fans of the TIFO show will be well aware of Sensible Transfers where the team looks at some potential signings that make sense in the window filling specific gaps in the teams and we are going to kind of touch on that but of course that video is now a few weeks old so there have been a few changes since then we've made a couple of transfers football and time make fools of us all but we're going to look at the transfers we have made how well they might fit in and of course maybe look at a few potential upcoming transfers as well but first of all john once again thank you so much for joining us really really appreciate it and as i said i was a huge fan of the video you made on sensible transfers which is now not obsolete but needs updating i would say but before we get into that if you could, I'd love to just go for a bit of an overview of Ange Postacoglu, what we've seen from him with his teams in the past, what Spurs fans can expect, the type of football, the type of tactics, and what kind of profiles generally he likes to work with. Yeah, it's a good question. I think one of the things that I'm becoming more and more aware of in the last few, perhaps the last few months, is that there's a tendency to assume that anyone playing football with positional ideas is linked to Pep Guardiola is the, yeah. is the high priest of those sorts of ideas. Um, and I actually think that's kind of unhelpful when it comes to a lot of different coaches. 
So with Ange Postacoglu, there obviously are positional ideas. And what I mean by positional ideas are is this school of thinking that you can actually get a huge amount of upside by thinking about the structures that you adopt in possession of the ball, which can allow you to get you know an advantage over your opponents by using spacings, shapes, I guess, filling positions in, in certain channels on the, in the pitch um, that can actually give you, I guess, an upside above and beyond the talent of the players that you have uh, at your disposal. and. Pep Guardiola is obviously, as I said, being the champion of that kind of approach. And so a lot of people just defer to talking about Pep Guardiola when, when it comes to these sorts of discussions. But I think there's, there's a sort of interesting strain of positional play that I think is there in, in the Netherlands. And I say this advisedly because I think Pep Guardiola is obviously influenced by Dutch football a lot. But with Pep Guardiola, I think what you get a lot more, or at least have in the past, maybe this season it was signaled the change a little bit, but with Pep in the past, it was all about control. You want to use positional play in order to maintain possession of the ball. And if you can maintain possession of the ball, you can keep the ball away from the opponents. And as a result of that, you are going to do less defending than your opponents. Uh, therefore, you don't need to worry too much about the defensive sides of the game as much as you would if you were a little bit more direct, for example. And I think there's a, a strain of football that is in the positional school, which you can trace through various Dutch coaches. I think you probably go back to someone like, I'd go back to someone like Louis van Gaal as a sort of proponent for that. Obviously, it is there in, in Cruyff as well, which goes across to Barcelona and becomes that Barcelona school of, of play. But there is a lot of coaches who actually use positional ideas, but I'd say they're a little bit different. They're a little bit more about direct progression of the ball, generating attacking upside through being maybe slightly more vertical than than maybe Pep, Pep is. So I think about mm-hmm. like Marcelo Bielsa is a good example of that. Eric Ten Hag is a good example of that now in the Premier League. And I think that I would probably fit Ange Postacoglu into that strain of coaches, that you get positional ideas, but they're not going to be the positional ideas that you necessarily expect from someone like Pep Guardiola. It's going to be the sorts of positional ideas that you will see in, in Eric Ten Hag, in Marcelo Bielsa. Ideas of you know verticality, but also concepts of rotating players, moving players into, I guess, interchanging players, switching player positions. So in the video that I made, I talked a lot about those wide triangles that you end up with, with the fullback, the centre midfielder and the wide player. Uh, And each one of those players has the ability to roughly play the position of the other two players in that triangle. But in each of those positions, you're expecting uh, players with different profiles. But a lot of it is about actually quite quick, I think, progression of the ball. So moving the ball through the build-up phase into space, usually either in the wide areas or into the eights, and then doing a lot of the progression, quick progression work in those phases, uh, and then often ending up with the ball in wide areas to generate chances from those sorts of spaces as well. Although you can also uh, generate chances through the eight channels as well. So that's yeah. that's the sort of thing that I would expect to see from Ange Postacoglu. You have... This idea of heavy, heavy build-up play. So you want to possess the ball from the goalkeeper, move the ball down the field. The way you're going to do that is you're going to have build-up ideas. But once you get through those first few phases of possession, you then want the ball to move fairly quickly. You want to try and hit the opposition fairly directly because if you can do that, then you'll have a lot more space and hopefully a little bit more, you'll generate a little bit more chaos to, to be able to produce chances in that way. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the sort of general uh, overview I'd give. I, I operated with the assumption that Ange would use a, a four. Um, I think he'll use a four-three-three shape generally because he has done that in the past. Although uh, a big part of the video was about talking about moving from a squad that suits back three systems to yeah. a squad that suits a back four system. So there is the possibility that we we do see a different shape 
from Ange. But yeah, I think that just about sums it up for me. So it's going to be positional ideas, but not necessarily positional ideas that, that revolve around control, but actually verticality, directness, being able to generate dangerous chances through particularly the wide areas and through the eights as well. Yeah, so you touched on it there. I think Ange himself mentioned in a recent video on Spurs play when he was being asked questions by various fans. He was saying that traditionally he does use a 4-3-3 for the most part, but he said you, you probably couldn't pinpoint many moments in the game where that actually exists, which I think is true of football formations in general, right? It's always a bit of a, a nominal mm. conceptual idea. So he's obviously very aware of that. And he also went on to say that he needs to have a look at the strengths of the players that he has at his disposal and come with the formation that will bring the best out of them. That being said, I'd be very surprised if we suddenly see a 3-4-3 a three, three or a 5 at the back like we have seen in the past. I think one of the main talking points since he came in was adjusting from a squad that's very much built around, and you touched on this in your video, of course, built around playing a five at the back to a four at the back. That's something that I think, barring a huge shock, will have to happen. So I guess that's the biggest issue in terms of transforming the squad, which, first of all, how, how well has that started and what still needs to happen to arrive at a point where we can play that kind of system? Yeah, well, the big point that I made in that video is... When you're playing with a back three squad, you're finding your width in certain positions, and usually that is through wing backs. Whereas most managers using back four systems are using full backs and wingers to to generate that width. Um, that's not a hard and fast rule, but like it's representative in most cases. So, the point that I wanted to make in that video is is that. The way that Spurs have been structured in the past influences the way that they're going to strengthen the squad in the future. And I was trying to find a way of doing that that meant that Spurs were actually moving forward mm. and evolving their squad rather than what often happens yeah. with back three squads moving to a back... Well, back three squads either end up just not changing at all, right? So um, Antonio Conte is a great example of that because there's a number of different teams now who've been coached by Antonio Conte, built the squad in a back yeah. three shape, and they've either struggled to move away from that or they've just stuck with it. So I'm just thinking of Chelsea have played back three systems pretty much since Conte was there, and they've struggled to, to really move away from that and and then Inter as well they've just stuck with that back three shape as well yeah um and the reason it's so difficult as I said in the video is because you know you get to these situations where you're like okay we've got all of these wing backs who are providing width can we just divvy them out as to whether or not we think they're more or less attacking more or less defensive mm, yeah. and then what you end up doing then is just having a huge chunk of your width coming from players who are actually playing out of position so mm. the suggestion that I made was well Spurs need to basically decide which area they're going to focus on to start bringing in players mm. who can offer that width. And I suggested that the best way of doing that was bringing in some wingers. And then if you did that, then there, there were ways that they could retain certain players they already have in the squad and play them as eights. Uh, and then in the future, then move on to thinking about how you deal with with fullbacks. So yeah, in terms of what Spurs have done, they've I mean they've brought in an eight and they've brought in a, in a winger really. Um, if we ignore the fact that one of the players that they brought in is a goalkeeper as well, so clearly Ange Postecoglou recognises those those issues there. And that you know the videos that we do are, are, are hypothetical. They're yeah. they're generally done from a contextual point of view and says to say this is what is the case. How did the team actually move forward in a in the most practical way? So yeah, it's nice to see that they recognise that there are problems with where they're finding width in the squad and they're and they're thinking. About about how they can solve those issues. Yep. So I think touching on a few bits that you said there, first of all, 
very heartened to hear any description of our, our new manager as being focused on sort of direct wing play because, and I think Sox and Dice will very much agree with it, almost all the best memories we associate with Spurs and our most exciting football has come from having strength out wide. Players like Son, obviously, players like Gareth Bale, players like, well, David Ginola, Dice and I can remember Sox maybe just a little bit less. And especially under sort of red nap through Lennon Bale on either sides with Modric also being able to carry through the middle or Pochettino using Danny Rose and Carl Walker so effectively on the flanks for a couple of years with Dembele carrying through the middle. A lot of what mm. you've described and bring to the table does resonate with that for pure, this is kind of what we've been reared on. So it sounds like Levy's kind of finally delivered on the person with Spurs DNA promise that he made a few yeah. years ago. So that's heartening to, I guess what I'd be interested to know is whether you think it could be an advantage almost that Conte actually failed to get us playing in a good back three slash back five <laughs> formation because he succeeded with Chelsea. He succeeded with him. So they won leagues. They played impossible to beat football almost. I mean, his Chelsea team were an absolute juggernaut in his first season. Spurs would have won the league that year and almost any other season in the Premier League. And they didn't because they were such a machine. The Spurs team he put together crumbled the second Rodrigo Bentancourt got injured, essentially. They, they were one injury to a key player, whether that was Bentancourt, whether that was Kane, whether that was the poor form of Kulisewski and Romero, they were never coached to actually beat that 3-4-3 or 5-3 to whatever you want to call it, machine. And I almost feel as though Conte was always trying to make back four players a back four system, whether it's 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, work in a back three or back five style, and he just couldn't do it. So when you've got people like, all right, we don't know whether these guys are going to stay or go, but when you've got people like Reggion, Jed Spence, people like that coming back from the loan, Brian Hill as well, people who are sort of quite aggressive wide players in traditional wing and traditional fullback slots coming back from loan, I'm wondering whether... Postacogli might have more to work with in line with what he's used to than Conte had. Yeah, I think there was a lot of response to my video because I was quite dismissive of the ability of some Spurs players to play in wide areas. And I think it's worth contextualising that by saying that I was very specific about the sort of role Mm. that you want those wingers in particular to be playing. So I think Spurs fans are going to get defensive when someone suggests that the Son might not be an out-and-out wide player in that mould. Maybe in the past that was very different, but essentially what what we're talking about now, in those, particularly in those wide areas, is that you're going to be doing a lot of, as I said, hold. you're almost doing hold-up play, right? You want, you want to work the ball around those three positions, mm. the, 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 the full-back, the number eight, and the wide player. And that means that a lot of the time the wide player will be receiving the ball either back to goal with a player behind them or will be receiving it on the touchline with a player in front of them. Mm. And there's certain solutions beyond just being able to dribble once you've squared up 1v1 against a fullback that you can get out of that. So, for example, the eight can drop into the wide channel and you can you can move the ball down the field that way or you can move it inside and hopefully have an underlapping fullback who's going to be able to carry the ball in that way. But it really makes your task a lot easier as a coach when you have that sort of approach. If you have players who can dribble 1v1 and can go either way yeah. Um, yeah. For, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, if you can go either way, it just makes a fullback's job much harder. If a fullback works out that you have a tendency 
for one side or the other, then that makes their job a lot easier. But also, again, you're setting yourself up to generate chances either by hitting bylines and cutting back uh, or by cutting inside and then you know either crossing to the back post or even generating shots yourself. So it just gives you a lot more scope to, to be able to do things. And I think the, the point of the video is that there's not a huge amount of players that Spurs have at their disposal who are actually going to be very good in those sorts of situations. We could talk about Kulisevsky because Kulisevsky is, again, another player who spent most of his time under Conte playing as a wide player. And therefore, people say, well, this guy's a winger. Mm. Um, therefore, why are you saying that Spurs don't have any players who can do this? But again, Kulisevsky is playing in a very specific role, not least because he was often dropping inside anyway from that, that wide right berth to, to help receive the ball in half spaces um, as Spurs were building up anyway. So there's a sense in which my suggestion that he could play as an eight was based around the fact that he was largely playing that kind of role in a Conte system anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so the suggestion that he could be used inside as an eight and then Spurs could focus on the wide positions was more based around the fact that you've, you've got to bring in players. It might be easier for, for you to actually bring in perfectly profiled wide players and then worry about other positions later on. So mm. that's the general context of the of the, of the the wide position conversation. I was just going to say, because you've spoken about Kulisevsky there, I'm quite quite torn in my response to that because on the one hand I want to go to that defensive Spurs fan instinct and say what do you mean Kulisevsky won't be right for out wide he can stand someone up he can dribble past people etc etc but on the Mm. other hand one of the things I said very early on about Kulisevsky and Dags and Sox know this is that I see him ending up in the middle in some way shape or form either as a centre forward Mm. or a central (laughs) midfielder and I couldn't decide if he Mm. was more De Bruyne or Kane basically but I feel like he has the brain and the body to do that so I guess if you're looking at what we've got you can see that we're about to sign Manuel Solomon subject to whatever legalities Mm -hmm. are in play would you suggest that that's an area Spurs should actually be heavily investing in because that isn't an area we're really expected to heavily invest in we're expected to look at centre-backs obviously because well Eric Dyer and Sanchez played most of our games last mm. season. And along with that, we're expected to strengthen in sort of those more, I guess, engine room parts of the pitch as opposed to out wide. We haven't really had any links to fullbacks or wingers and everyone's sort of expecting Solomon to be one for the future mm. anyway. So do you think Spurs might be getting it wrong already this early in the transfer window? Be cool. I think that the Spurs activity has been good um, so far. I, again, when it comes down to a new coach coming in, it's always going to be the case that they look at the squad and they think, oh, I'd prefer a player of this profile in this position. And it seems to be the case that that's the way that they're approaching this. So they're saying, okay, I want a wide player who can do this. Let's bring in Mano Solomon. I want an eight who can do this. Let's bring in James Madison. I need to have a left centre-back who can do this. Let's bring in X, Y, or Z. Mm. So in that respect, I think you know it's fine for them to approach it in that way. In terms of Kulisevsky, I, I mean, I don't feel like I need to defend myself here, but my thinking would simply be that when you're playing under Conte, the whole idea is is that you are trying to bait a press, right? So you're generating space that you can then attack. Rope a dope. Um, yeah, sure. And and I think you know in those sorts of contexts, I think Kulisevsky is brilliant as a wide player, right? If you generate the space for him to attack, he will attack it. Whereas I think with Ange Postecoglou, as I've said, actually, the, the, despite the fact that I've talked to a lot about you know direct dynamic attacking, the winger is sometimes expected to receive the ball from a standing start. And again, that's part of the reason why I was a, a little bit more reticent to talk about. 
Kulisevsky as a as a wide player in that system. I, again, I think that he'll be fine playing in, in a wide position, and I think he will play in a wide position because I think he's the best option you have on that side right now mm. from the wide area. So again, I reiterate the reason I suggested Kulisevsky coming inside is because it seemed like everyone was focusing on this big question, like how do you solve the number eight problem? Mm. We don't have any issues in the, the wide areas, and I just wanted to emphasize the fact that I thought actually, relatively speaking, Spurs probably fine in the in the number eight area. I would be more worried in terms of the, the wide areas uh, and stuff. But yeah. James Madison, absolutely fantastic pickup for the eight slot. And, you know, that's one of those things, I think, where you just say, okay, this club have gone down. This player is available for an affordable price. He's in peak age. He's he's shown that even for a poor club last season, he's able to generate the sorts of uh, attacking upside that you want from a from that kind of position. So it's just a no-brainer in many respects, right? So, yeah, absolutely support that. In terms of bringing in, you know, centre-backs, I think, yeah, there's definite ideas behind the way that Ange Postacoglu wants to use centre-backs. And so it doesn't surprise me that he would want to bring someone in who fits his way of thinking about how centre-backs should function, particularly in possession, playing uh, playing a high line, etc. So, yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me either. So, again, I want to reiterate that the video that I made was just a suggestion of one way that you could approach some of the some of the issues. Um, there's plenty of ways of doing sensible transfers outside of that. Uh, and I think the, the way the Spurs are doing their transfers seem to be pretty sensible right now. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk about some of the transfers we've done already in just a moment, of course. And uh, first of all, I think I speak on behalf of everyone when I say we're not going to cry at the suggestion that any of our players aren't suited to any particular role. We're just as critical about our own squad as anyone, believe mm. you me. And it's interesting you raise a couple of players there, um, directly or indirectly. First of all, Kudusevsky, I will vouch for you, Elio, and say that you have indeed been saying for a very long time that he'd be a great player to play in a kind of number 10 or a more central role. So nice to see some vindication there. But the other player that this brings up, of course, is Son, who I think is a little bit of a conundrum. And I think there was a lot of talk about Son last season in that he was being asked to receive the ball to feet and turn and play more of a kind of centre forward role which didn't really suit him and obviously we've well documented how he didn't have the best season Socks we were actually talking about this recently weren't we about it's it's hard to know exactly where Son fits in if anything he's more the archetypal Antropostokoglu number nine but obviously Harry Kane exists so what are your thoughts on how Son might fit in whether this could get the best out of him whether there's any kind of way of working around it and what do you think the solution is are you asking me or John because one of us is I'm more I'm qualified you. to I answer to tag this question you in. no I'll tell you what if you find yourself wanting to tag John in then go ahead but I feel like you've been quite quiet so I wanted to to give you some airtime. well only because it was the question I was going to ask him so I'm just I'm going to segue <laughs> okay, into it fair enough. two of our front three almost feel like we're assuming that Kane stays and he's buying his sausages from the local Tesco as opposed to somewhere in you know the free state of Bavaria <laughs> you have a, a number nine that hasn't really been able to effectively press since about 2017-18 and you have Son who we're assuming last season was a blip and he has at least one more good season left in him he doesn't fit as you've already identified the profile of a Postecoglou winger because in football manager terms he's an inside forward more than he is an inverted winger he doesn't even at his best bar one goal where he dribbled the length of the pitch against Burnley he doesn't weave in and out of defenders he doesn't have the technical capacity if you think of somebody like Martinelli at Arsenal but at the same time you look at both of those players and say they're effectively undroppable. So I suppose the question is, how do you see Postacoglu potentially working around that? And the sub-question is, with the signing of someone like Man or Solomon, do you think it's even semi-realistic that more toward the end of the season, he is in a position to actually displace 
Son specifically, or will it be more of a case of Ange going, look, Son is too good. The guy can hit 15, 20 goals a season. I'm just going to find a way to make it work. And what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I would like to reiterate that everything I'm doing here is speculation. Um, <laughs> we don't know what's going to we don't know what's going to happen here. But I, I agree with you. I think that the issue with Son and Ange Postecoglou is that Son doesn't really fit either of the two positions. Right? He's not. I think you can play him as a nine, but I think that Richarlison is like a more profile-friendly version of a nine in Ange Postecoglou's system. So, I mean, we're not even going to get on to talk about Harry Kane, but any team losing Kane is not a good thing. But when you have someone like Richarlison as a backup, I think it's not the worst thing in the world if he goes. I don't think that you'll be having to scrabble around thinking of players to, to use in that position were that to happen. But very much agree with you that Son doesn't really suit that wide position I think he likes to – Son can start out wider and, and likes to come inside. I think that works for him. But um, in terms of a you know withholding winger who's going to be expected to standing start, go either way around a fullback is, is not going to happen. So mm. it's, a, it's a tricky one. And again, I mean, I, I didn't catch Ange Postacoglu's full press conference today, but I've seen a few quotes – um, and he, I thought he was very good on suggesting, you know, this is very much a transition period you don't bring in a coach like me unless you are looking to change things up. Um, And so I think reading between the lines on that, my sense would be that he's getting people ready to accept that there's going to be decisions that are made that people aren't necessarily going to uh, feel particularly positive about Mm. when they happen. Um, Mm. And I suppose that's that's where, where you're at. There's a sense in which the problem Spurs have had in recent seasons have been that they've had such outlier, brilliant forwards in Son and Kane that it almost makes it impossible for you to do sensible evolution in terms of squad, right? Yeah. Because you've got to fit Kane in somehow. Kane plays in this way. Therefore, you have to play a system that brings the best out of Kane and ditto Son. And I suppose the, the big question is going to be, you know, in a, in a year's time, will we look back at the Spurs squad, you know, the beginning of the end of last season and compare it to the beginning of the, the following season after next summer and think, you know, incredible to think that that's, that's what it looked like uh, at that point. So, yeah, I'm not being I'm, I'm I'm not necessarily being particularly profound on this, but I I think that this is the this is the big trick with football at the elite levels is you've got to always get the balance right between having a squad of players who are elite and you have to field those players in order to get them into the team somehow, but also wanting to build a squad which works in the long term. And yeah. that worked fine when you had Pochettino because those players fit into his system. Mm. The problem was is that Daniel Levy was able to assume that because you had Son and Kane that you could skimp a little bit in the transfer market and not bring in players who were, who were going to improve you in the long run to then changing managers and then bringing in managers who couldn't fit those players in necessarily into the, into the best system that worked for them. And yeah, now we end up in this situation. So I think it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. I guess we don't know what's going to happen with Kane, but and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Kane wasn't there at the end of the season. Hopefully that isn't too big of a bombshell for you guys to, <laughs> to, to, have to, to have to deal with. But yeah. <laughs> and I, I say that I, I know absolutely nothing of, of any of the news behind what's going on at the moment. So it's just my sense that it, it works well for it, it sort of works well for everyone involved for him to move on at this point, which uh, apart from the fans, but um, you know, a new manager will will probably want to have the ability to pick his best 11 rather than having to fit Kane into it. Yeah. Kane will get to move to a club where he'll win lots of things. 
things and Spurs will be able to start evolving their squad so it does believe me it, it does make sense in the long run um, if you can yeah. you can believe me through the tears but um, Son I think is a little bit more tricky because you know you, you can try and fit him in you can play him as a nine you can I mean, I'm sure he will be. I'm sure he will be tried as a wide player as well. It could be the case that Son starts out as a number nine as well. But yeah, I think this is the, just the nature of bringing in a new coach and, and the problems of moving from one squad shape to another. I mean, you really are auditioning to replace Dave at this point with comments like that, baiting <laughs> <laughs> us into into Kane chat. Well, if someone could keep an up to the minute watch on Fabrizio Romano's Twitter throughout this podcast, that'd be great. Just in case there's any more mentions of Bratverse and the like. But uh, I think we're operating on the assumption <laughs> that Kane will be a Spurs player next season until we have some significant reason to think otherwise. And I think I imagine Ange is probably on the same strategy. I guess the key thing there is that there will be changes. We've already seen some changes. There's already stuff happening. The quote that you alluded to earlier from Ange was, we're going to have to do things and be fairly flexible along the way to adjust to whatever challenge there may be ahead of us. And he actually went on to say, change in direction, change in the way we do things, that usually transpires in a change of stuff. So he's getting at yeah. that. He's making no secret of the fact that some will be out, some will be in. And obviously, we'll, we'll get on to talk about some of the players that we've brought in in just a moment. Before I move on to that, though, I just wanted to get your thoughts, John, uh, and anyone else, feel free to chip in on what our midfield is likely to look like because my understanding of a typical Andrew Postacoglu midfield three, if we're going with the 4-3-3 model, is that the six is a more, to throw in a football manager term, a regista, someone who can play the ball. I guess a Rodri type or maybe a Pirlo is a more archetypal example. We don't have Andrew Pirlo, but do we have a player that fits the right kind of model? Do we have someone whose numbers suggest that they would be best suited to play that more deep lying of that midfield three? And what does the overall midfield three look like in most likelihood? I think you mean the Callum McGregor role, do you know? Well, uh, <laughs> McGregor, I mean, <laughs> horrendous Scottish exceptionalism there. But, um, I do apologize. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the number six is it's a controller player, right? Yeah. It's someone who's going to help out in the build-up as a pivot and I think, yeah, a deep line playmaker kind of towards that end of the spectrum rather than a destroyer six. Um, In terms of the Spurs squad right now, I think I had Basuma in that position. Mm -hmm. I expect to see him probably used in that way unless Spurs bring someone else in. The problem that you have in your squad is that you've played with essentially like a two-man midfield for seemingly forever. And so you have about 100 versions of the same profile. Mm apart from the players who one or other of your managers alienated and then they sent them out on loan. So um, yeah. in terms of the eight, I mean, everyone feels like a sort of six, eight profile. And then you've got, I guess, Ndombele, who goodness knows if he'll he'll come back with any <laughs> favourable feelings towards Spurs. And then Lo Celso, who equally may, may not feel sanguine <laughs> about playing for Spurs again, yeah. slash is struggling with injuries. And so Basuma, I think, is maybe stands out as being the the, the best option in, in that kind of role. I guess you could maybe use Oliver Skip as a backup there yeah. as well. But yeah, very much, as we said, it's about offering that pivot in the build-up, being able to move either side of the channels, help move the ball in, in those in those wide areas a lot of what's going to happen is wide progression so you know you, you move the ball into the fullbacks the fullbacks are going to bounce it off the, the pivot player and the pivot player is going to move it further down the field and then the eights take over from the pivot player so you have eights on either side mm-hmm. yeah. um, so a lot of progression will happen in those areas um, unless you can get through the you know, if the opposition are pressing quite aggressively, then the idea is to try and get through that those lines of pressure and then get it to the eights so they should have space in front of them to then just drive the ball forward as well. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, a Callum McGregor type player, really, really good in possession of the ball. Yeah. Um, not necessarily like a huge physical guy in terms of like the out possession mm. stuff, but good enough to be able to intercept, read, read the, the, the game well because they will be doing a, a fair amount of defensive duty in that in turnover situations. Although obviously Ange does like to invert his fullback, so one of the fullbacks should be helping him patrol those spaces as well. So my slightly agricultural understanding of Ange, having never watched Celtic in the past two years until I had reason to watch highlights, is that out of possession, the number six does also need to be quick, nimble, aggressive, because there's a big gap between him and where the double eights are. They they press up quite high. So if the ball gets past them, it has to be someone very proactive, which is the Basuma that we signed, not the Basuma we saw, but it is the Basuma yeah. we signed. It's also a confident Oliver Skip to my mind as well. So I think that can be either or. In terms of the on-the-ball side of things, obviously you'll have no reason to have been a religious Spurs watcher, which means you may not have seen much of Skip being able to do this, but a confident Oliver Skip and an injury-free one has been a quick passer of the ball, has been someone that can aggressively win the ball, play the ball into the channels quickly, pull off an instinctive pass very quickly. That was beaten out of him big time last season, as it would be with a 2021-year-old 20, midfielder in his first real full season yeah. under a very passive manager and in a fairly toxic environment as well. But I, I do think generally, in terms of midfielders, we are quite well sorted. I think we know what Madison was brought in for. I think once he's fit again, mm. if Benton Cole picks up where he left off, I see the other eight quite naturally there because he was getting goals and assists quite comfortably. He was almost one in two for that last season. So I'm keen to see if you'd agree with the comment that actually everything we need, without even talking about moving Kulisevsky around, is actually already there in terms of building. Maybe not Ange's perfect utopian midfield but one that can function the way his Celtic midfield functions yeah it's I mean I, I guess you would start worrying a little bit about depth maybe mm. especially if Hoiberg leaves I know that Spurs fans have an interesting relationship with Hoiberg <laughs> well, we'd but, have to replace him um, if he left I mean at the very worst he's our fourth yeah. midfielder for three positions so he'd, he'd have to be replaced yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth maybe distinguishing between the two eights because the right-sided eight at Celtic was Matt O'Reilly who is playing uh, as maybe the more slightly more advanced mm. eight and the expectation is out of possession. Celtic became a four-four-two shape usually, and the idea was that the more advanced eight would push up alongside the striker, and the wingers would drop in a little bit, and then your six pushes up alongside the other eight, and you end up with that in that that sort of situation. We can talk about the higher pressing at some point. I'm sure we will because um, that is one one area of concern, but. Yeah. Um, that does mean I think that you're looking for slightly different profiles in the two eight spots. So Celtic used um, Rio Hatate as as the eight on the left hand side, um, and Rio Hatate I think is maybe a little bit more of a a little bit more of a controller type player. It is also I think he was also like a good good ball carrier, good progressive passer as well, and. It is being used as a link-up player, as as we've said before. But on the right-hand side, I think you have a little bit more scope for that player to be a little bit more aggressive just because in the out-of-possession phases, they don't need to get as deep necessarily mm. uh, as well. So, yeah, I think Madison... Madison suits that position quite well. I, I watched some clips of him out of possession with Leicester last season where he was playing as an eight who pushed up into the forward line of the press as well. So that should be fine. But 
In terms of who you would play behind Madison, I'm not sure, but Benton Coe, I think, would be fine in the other eight role. Uh, again, you know, a, a player who's very good at, in terms of controlling games, but also out of possession, yeah. no worries whatsoever there. So I think I think you're right in so far as, you know, you can start this team off with a very decent starting eleven, mm. and then behind that, then you, you start seeing the questions, which is exactly what happened with Man United last season, right? They... If you look yep. at Man United starting eleven last season, they're pretty good on paper. The problem is, is that it's just depth issues all the way over. You lose Casemiro, and you're having to play Fred. McTominay or Fred. Ditto Eriksson. If Bruno Fernandes doesn't play, who are you playing? Like, yeah, Jaden Sancho. Um, so I think it's the same sort of thing that will happen maybe with Spurs next season. That you know, the difference between a good season and a less good season could be injuries to key players. But yeah, you've got to start somewhere, and uh, if you can come out at the beginning of the season with a with a, a decent starting eleven, I think that's as good as you can hope for. Mm. Thank God we're not in Europe. <laughs> There's a quote that my mind always goes back to from the very early days of the Plus Dave podcast, and I, I forgive whoever said it because I can't remember who it was, but they essentially said that playing a midfield three of Hoiberg, Winks, and Skip is like having chips, jacket, and mashed potato for dinner. And that kind of <laughs> it goes back to your point about too much of the same, and I think that's been the problem for a while. But obviously with Basuma coming in, and now of course Madison, it is starting. To change a little bit and look a little bit more varied, which is obviously encouraging to see. Um, Dave, you've been uncharacteristically quiet so far this episode, and I, I don't expect it's a coincidence that you've arrived without your trademark glass of red wine for the episode, being an ultra-professional. Just to transition into talking about the signings we have made, and John just touched on Madison there, I want to get your thoughts on the window as a whole from an outsider looking at Spurs and the, the business that we've done. We talked a lot about it last season, and of course, everyone was saying, Spurs have won the window, and look at all these great signings we've made. What do you make of the signings that we've made so far, being obviously a new goalkeeper, Mana Solomon, pending medical today slash tomorrow, and of course, James Madison. And how do you think we're shaping up at the moment? Well, starting with the marquee one, I think I, I echo yeah. what John said, to be honest. I think Madison is an absolutely fantastic signing for the price that you paid. It weakens Leicester in the championship, which is great news. Uh, but but I do think it's... <laughs> You're Thanks welcome. very much. Um, but I do think it's a position which, when it became clear that it was going to be Postacoglu, it was a position where I certainly thought, well, you've got nothing for that for that position. You've got an injured Ben Tanko who's not back until, what, September? Probably not match fit until October. And other than that, you're going to be really struggling. Mm-hmm. So, And the obvious pick was James Madison, and you got the obvious signing. Sometimes it is not the worst thing. Uh, and I know John will relate to this with our Victor Rota signings over the last few years. Sometimes it's it's okay to just pick the obvious one and just go, yeah, he's the best one for that position. So let's just go with that guy. Yeah. Was, was that too sensible a transfer for sensible transfers? Was that too obvious? Yeah. <laughs> that was low hanging fruit. You had to go a bit left field. I think so. Um, goalkeeper wise, Vicario, I think that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because am I right in thinking that the primary goal was to get David Raya? But essentially, as soon as Postacogla came along, that kind of, well, couldn't agree a fee and, and obviously ended up going with Vicario for essentially half the price. But Stats-wise, he's a very similar goalkeeper, very similar style. That's interesting because if you remember way back when Postacoglu started at Celtic, he brought in a lot of players who nobody had heard of, certainly in Europe. And that was... You know, obviously, based on his experience and based on his knowledge of of, of other leagues, which is a, a big bonus. And I think one of the key things for that Vicario signing would have been that Postecoglou might have said, contrary to previous Spurs managers, it doesn't matter that they haven't got that experience in the Premier League. It doesn't matter that they're the marquee signing. 
I can make yeah. him work. I can make him work as Tottenham's goalkeeper. So I think that might actually show a little bit of a change in, in, in tack to an extent. And I think that's positive and kind of the opposite of what we just said with the Madison uh, transfer, because he was the obvious one. Raya would have been the obvious one. Raya was too expensive, but you found a fingers crossed, touch wood, equivalent for half the price who's going to do just as good a job. So I think that's a positive. Yeah. And then, uh, well, only a little bit of information on, on Solomon, but it is in the flesh information that we have. So Ellie and I, uh, oh, John, course. for your information, Ellie and I went to the, the Leeds-Fulham game. Were you there in the cup? I was not there, no, but that was the game where he scored the carbon copy of the goal he scored a few weeks exactly, before. Exactly, right? exactly. So we got some first-hand evidence of, of, of Solomon, and he strikes me as the perfect impact sub, especially if Son starts on the left and it isn't working. He's mm. the kind of person that could come on and actually make something happen me. on that left-hand side. And I think similar to, to Hill on the right-hand side, I think he could do exactly the same job on each side, and that option on each side to have that impact sub I think is going to be really useful because you know mm. some days will some days cool self skill run riot some days Son will you know get stuck against the right backs that you can't get past and that's when you need those young desperate to impress options off the bench um, and it also means that you don't have to go anywhere near Somerville or, or Nanta so that's also positive mm. Dave, important question. Is the Premier League ready for the monster that will be created when Benson Kerr comes back from injury under the international tutelage of Marcelo Bielsa? <laughs> what will that come back? Like? Comes back from injury. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Straight into the Uruguay squad, straight injured, injured on a Bielsa ball session. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what I love about, just going back to Vicario, um, just as a general point, I love that we've arrived at a point in the world of football social media where I happened upon via Twitter a 15-minute compilation of a goalkeeper's distribution. <laughs> I love that that exists in the today's world. Like We used to struggle. There were times where we couldn't even have had any idea barring just the odd news report about what a player was like. And not only can we see goal compilations, now we can actually see save compilations and passing compilations. So yeah, that's quite an interesting one to see. Um, John, I obviously want to talk about some of the transfers in more detail. Of course, we've touched on some of them. Dave's just gone into some of it. I think Madison's obviously the marquee one. And you talked a little bit about how his play at Leicester can translate over into us. Is there anything more you could add to, besides the obvious, because obviously, speaking of YouTube, we've seen his compilations, we've seen all his goals, we've seen his assists. But what do you think were the biggest thing that he changes about the way Spurs play? Um, yeah, I think, you know, for, for so long, Spurs have had, as I've said, those those midfielders playing in pairings in, in the middle who have to do sort of six slash eight stuff. Yeah. So if you have a three four three shape with a midfield two, then in your build-up, both of the players roughly have to do symmetrical things. So yeah. you need someone who can drop in, who can pivot uh, equally with defensive stuff as well, which is why I think that you've ended up with a lot of the same sorts of midfielders. And I think bar Kulisevsky dropping in often when you are playing in the 3-5-2. I mean, often playing in the 3-4-3, three, three, Kulisevsky dropped in, in into that half space anyway, right? Yeah. So um, there's a sense in which... That's why I was talking about Kulisevsky as being a bit more of a of that creative player. But I think with Madison, what you get is the sort of full package of not not only the sorts of things that you want your midfielder to do in terms of the neat and tidy stuff, the ball progression stuff, the receiving back to goal, receiving on the turn, getting himself facing down the field, the stuff that, you know, people take for granted but actually at that level is 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 pretty hard to come by mm. um and you add to that the ability then to you know sprinkle a little bit more in there the ability to see passes that the other teams can't the ability to be press resistant in a part of the pitch where there's going to be a huge amount of congestion anyway yeah so i think that he will he'll be used as one of the creative 
focal points of this of this team. And for I, I suppose too long, Spurs have had to rely on their striker as the player who drops in and does that kind of thing. Mm. Um, this will free up whoever is playing in the nine spot to play as a as a box presence. So I think that 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 for me that will be the the main thing. You've got a player in there who you know is offering genuine elite qualities in a creative sense, uh, but also allowing the nine to have more of a of, of an important goal scoring role or focal role in terms of box occupation as well. Brilliant. Yeah, I can imagine trying to keep track of Madison and Kane from a defensive standpoint could be a bit of a nightmare with them kind of dovetailing and swapping places. I think we're all excited about not having to carry Kane camping in the centre circle anymore. Well, you say that, but I don't know if it's that easy to change it. <laughs> or at all. The way things <laughs> yeah, are going. Or just camping in uh, in, in Munich. Anyway, um, let's, let's move on to some yet-to-be-done transfers. And I'm conscious we're, we're getting a little bit on in time, but I wanted to talk about, first of all, a couple of names that have been linked to Spurs quite heavily. We're not going to go into every single rumour because we'll be here all day but obviously a couple of the centre-back options I think are the main talking points as to what we need next and then maybe potentially we have time to go into a few more ideas for some upcoming dare I say sensible transfers at the risk of getting sued by TIFO uh, let's, let's talk about the centre-backs then so um, the two names keep coming up are Mickey van der Ven and Edmund Tapsoba I must admit I didn't know a huge amount about either before this window I'd heard of Tapsoba I don't think I'd even heard of Mickey van der Ven um, Again, anyone feel free to jump in with, with your two cents. But um, John, what do you know about those two and how do they compare? Which one do you think would be on paper the best fit for Spurs? It's funny because I came across Mickey van der Ven back in 2019 when he was playing for Follendam um, because I, I have a friend who is a scout at a Champions League club and we often just spend hours on Discord just watching players that crop up. And Mickey van der Ven cropped up because he was then playing as a centre-back who was just insane at ball carrying. So we would just watch games where he would just pick the ball up and just run and end up at the edge of the box. So he was he was sort of on my radar in that respect. Like I hadn't really thought of him since that point until he started being, I mean, he moved to, I, I clocked that he'd moved to Wolfsburg, but I'd never really thought of him beyond that. He was a, some sort of insane ball carrying centre-back. Yeah. Um, I'm disappointed to learn that he doesn't do that so much anymore. <laughs> um but yeah, I guess you, you can be confident in the fact that he is a, a good ball carrier. And I think one of the big criticisms that Ange Postacoglu has had in his time is that he plays with this high line, plays high possession football, but he's never really used his centre-backs to try and break down blocks through ball carrying. Mm. And I think the ability to have centre-backs who can ball carry can cause a huge amount of problems for opposition structured presses. Dave and I will know this, but when your team plays man-to-man football with a with a minus one weakness in the forward line because you've got a libero at the back. Um, what that means is it's very easy to manipulate the forward line of the press uh, in such a way that one of the centre-backs will end up with a ball at their feet with acres of space in front of them. Yeah. And that can cause loads of problems because if you drive into that space, then it just throws off the marking responsibility. So then centre midfielders have to start covering for the, the centre-back who's carrying the ball forward. So I think... In the day and age where teams are getting better and better in, in terms of the out-possession side of the game, the ability to manipulate a front line and then use your centre-backs to carry the ball. And again, there's positional ideas there, right? The, the idea is that if your centre-back can push forward, carry the ball, bait an opposition player in, yeah. then you can play in through lines of pressure, right? So the ability to have a ball-carrying centre-back at this level, I think, is, is really important. So it'll be fascinating to see whether or not Postacoglu actually encourages Van der Ven to be able to use that aspect of his game. 
But yeah, the, I guess the other side of it is that in that situation, you need to play a high back line because if you are going to be quite aggressive out of possession, you can't leave a huge amount of space. Um, you want to push your back line up so that you can reduce the amount of space that you're having to counter press in. Mm. Um, and it's definitely something that happened in between the first and second season at Celtic was that there was questions about whether or not the Celtic back line were stepping up high enough to be able to allow that counter press to happen. And yeah, that, that changed in the second season. I think they got much better at it as well. So Van der Ven obviously is a, a player who has the mobility to be able to patrol in a in a high back line. And so, yeah, get ready to see some long busting backwards defending. But yeah. I have no doubt whatsoever that Spurs will concede some goals from having an incredibly high back line. <laughs> and that will be that will become the narrative a la Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember when Liverpool play a high back line because they counter press aggressively. The counter press started breaking down in more recent years. And so suddenly teams were being able to find the space in behind their back line. Was it you guys who played against Liverpool and it was Oliver Skip played the ball through to... Yeah, was, yeah, that, yeah. was that that yeah. game? Um, yeah, that's a great example. Mm. That's a great example of, of, of Liverpool's press breaking down and a team just being able to really manipulate it. So the ability to have centre-backs who are able to deal with those sorts of defensive moments, but also who can be happy stepping up and compressing the space so that you don't suffer from those sorts of turnovers is is going to be key. But this is the this is always going to be the question with a coach like Ange Postacoglu. You can get away with playing that kind of football when you're playing in the Scottish Premiership. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the Premier League, everything is unforgiving. There is not a more unforgiving league. The, be- the best players in the world are almost all in the Premier League. So if you leave any kind of weakness like that, then they teams know how to exploit it. So yeah, um, not to fill you with the fear of God, but um, that's going to be the, the reality. I mean, we've already got Romero in one centre-back position with his, <laughs> his <laughs> love of finding himself on the right wing and his committal style of uh, defending. Yeah. The good thing is they're both very fast. They both have recovery pace yeah. and we do have a good collection of very fast full-backs as well. Yeah. So like you say, lots and lots of backward defending. I guess with all of them being quite young as well. I mean, even Emerson, I think, is only 24, which is which is only when Danny Rose started even looking like a footballer, never mind a top left back. Um, <laughs> so I, what, what, what I, I guess I'd be more interested in is how well all these guys can read the game in the first place as a collective, how they can sort of, I guess, the old kind of George Graham-esque all raise your hand at the same time for offside or whatever that's going to look like next season with the new rules coming in. Um, (laughs) What is Van Van der Ven and Romero together, two very, I guess, exciting defenders, which is not always how you want to describe a (laughs) centre-back. We will concede goals, but on the flip side, could that very front foot, very aggressive style of defending end up outweighing what we see as goals conceded with the high winds of possession they're getting the ball quickly to forwards they're having lots of space for our forwards to work with because one of the beauties of the Pochettino system was that yes we had a high line but we had a at then the best sweeper keeper on the planet in Larice, making sure that a backline breach wasn't a complete disaster and when it worked we scored bucket loads of goals by well look how good Deli Alley looked with all that space to play in as opposed to when that space was taken away as we deteriorated in that respect so do you mm. think the trade-off will be worth it? What does your gut say? I know you're a tactics and stats person, but what does your gut say about the trade-off in in that respect, attack versus defence? Yeah, I mean, all of these tactical systems have upsides that match the downsides, right? And downsides that match the upsides. And I suppose the big question is going to be, at this level, mm. do those downsides and upsides start mismatching? 
that's going to be the worry. So, you know, we've, we've seen it happen before, right? We, we saw Jesse Marsh at Leeds where this general idea of, okay, we can get an upside in the Premier League by approaching the game in a very different way to everyone else. Yeah. And that is going to be that we're going to focus on generating a team of players who are super mobile, super aggressive, super intense, out of possession, and we'll try and destabilize the opposition because they're going to try and build up from the back. And what we're going to do actually is generate a chaotic game state and then we'll be the best, the team that's best suited to being able to benefit from those chaotic game states. And the problem that Leeds found, I think, was that generally that's that worked against some of the bigger teams. But the problem is, is that even when you do that, the bigger teams can win. And the problem was, is that against the smaller teams, they just simply weren't willing to engage in that kind of back and forth. And so they simply played over the press mm. um, or they sat deep and said, try and break us down. Um, so there's the possibility that that happens with, with Ange Postacoglu. I think the fact that Ange Postacoglu has had to work his way up from the very bottom of football management to the top suggests that he's very good at being able to problem solve these yeah. issues as and when they arrive. And so I think that's why, again, a lot of the narrative surrounding him has, has and he's been contributing to that, is that this is going to be a process that takes time. Mm, yeah. You don't just come in and, and implement this kind of system and it works immediately. And it didn't happen at Celtic. It was, they had a few, you know, they had a six week spell where things looked a little bit rocky, but then the players got up to speed with the system and no doubt they solved problems as they went. I've already suggested that, you know, between season one and season two at Celtic, there were problems that were identified and fixed. I think there's going to be problems with his high press that will have to be identified mm. and fixed. But one of the good things about Ange Postacoglu is that almost every team he's been at, he's used a different set of coaches. He's happy to use coaches that have been at the clubs before or bring new people in with him. And I think that that suggests a remarkable level of willingness to accept other ways of doing things. This isn't just a one-size-fits-all approach where he takes his whole coaching unit and moves them mm. from club to club. Ryan Mason's going to be involved. I think Ryan Mason has shown that he has interesting ideas about our possession play. So no doubt they will problem solve those together as and when they occur. And, you know, the, the same thing will happen. If these if these if if we start seeing problems emerging that are repeated and making Spurs suffer, then I have every faith that the, the coaching staff will be able to identify them and mm. um, will be attempting to find ways to fix them. Whether or not that happens, different matter. Mm. But like... What more do you want than a coaching staff who are aware of, of of the fact that they have to keep on top of these things, so they're not infallible, that their ideas aren't you know insuperable, and if anything, the the lesson from Spurs' last couple of managers has been that you know you can be the the greatest manager in the world playing the perceived greatest systems in yeah. the world, um, but if you aren't able to manipulate the the way that you approach things in certain situations then it doesn't count for anything and then you you end up out on your ass within a couple of seasons mm. so I, I think that Ange will be will be good from that that perspective the, the big question is going to be what will the step up look like in terms of the tactics which I know was the question mm. in the first place and I haven't really <laughs> answered it but um, <laughs> I, I also I also don't think that you 
you can. It's hard. It's very hard to talk about the scalability and portability of a system like his, because I I don't know whether or not some of the weaknesses that I perceive in his system are simply the result of the fact that he didn't have to deal with them until mm. it came to the Champions League, yeah. and so there simply wasn't the scope and time to be able to deal with those issues. So, yeah, I think hopefully that sort of gives you a, a roundabout way of, of of answering that question. No, it does, and also to tell you the truth. Much like Spurs, we're not looking for answers to our questions. We're looking for more questions to our questions. So <laughs> there's, there's no shortage of those for sure. Um, first of all, I think that's two successive lead tangents there. So it's seamlessly picking up where Dave left off, which I absolutely love to see. Um, the other point I just wanted to make is I love the shout out for Volendam, who have a special place in, in my heart and Elio's because they were, I think, the worst team on, was it Pro Evo 2009, Elio? So, where yeah. We had a friend who was significantly better than us at Pro Evo and we were always, you know, the Barcelona and Real Madrid and whoever and he had to be Volendam by default just to give us <laughs> any kind of a chance. Um, we've talked about transfers that have come in and obviously a couple of likely incomings. I want to talk about a few more slightly speculative ones and we'll get into the realms of potential sensible transfers. And I've actually got a special treat for you now, John. This is not in the running order, so uh, I'm hoping you'll enjoy this as much as uh, these guys have enjoyed preparing it. I have tasked my <laughs> recruitment team here, these three gentlemen, with coming up with a pitch for a sensible transfer of their own for Tottenham this window. We're going to try and keep it snappy. We've said, what do we say, 60-second pitch? And what I'd like you to do, once you've heard everyone, is to grade them. Uh, I don't know if you want to go on a marks out of 10 or an ABC or whatever, whatever uh, takes your fancy. But I would like you to consider the following factors when making your decision of which one's the best. Originality, obviously the presentation is key. Um, and above all, the sensibleness of the transfer, <laughs> most importantly. Who wants to go first is the big question. Are we timing this to 60 seconds? Because that's um, not my strong I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not going to scream at you if you go over it, but let's at least try. Let's at least try. I'm going to do a timer and I'm going to tell you when a 60 second, or I'll tell you how long it's been when you've finished doing it. Do you want to go first, Elliot? Uh, I do not. <laughs> okay. Do we have a brave volunteer? I'll, I'll, I'll get mine out of the way. <laughs> we've, all picked, we've all picked the same person. <laughs> In that case, go first. I was yeah. thinking yeah. imitating someone like JJ Bill, but then I thought this is going to get very offensive very quickly. So, <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to... I've already insulted Scotland once, so that's... <laughs> so I've gone for trying to address the issue on the right wing, and I found a player called Edon Zegrova. My main point for sort of considering him is that he sounds like a moderately powerful Pokemon, which is at least plus five points <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But outside of that, he's sort of dubbed as the Kosovan Messi. He's 24, five foot 11. He's left-footed right winger with about a couple, two and a half years left on his contract that plays at Lille. So I've got some stats here. He's got... For context, this is uh, in comparison to Mitama, who obviously plays on the opposite flank. So he's got uh, 6.32 progressive carries per 90 compared to 5.54, 4.53 compared to 3.18 in terms of carries in the final third. He's got nearly double the amount of completed take-ons and a very similar take-on success percentage of about 47 to 45, more than double the amount of uh, passes into the penalty area and significantly higher crosses into the penalty area, although I suspect that's more down to an issue related to the system of Lille compared to Brighton. So I've gone for my moderately powerful Pokemon, Kosovan, Messi, Zagrova, which I'm probably horribly mispronouncing. So apologies to Kosovans and the Kosovan Albanians out there. Well, that's one minute and seven seconds. So that's a very solid effort. I mean, I'll be honest, you had me at Kosovan, Messi, uh, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that, John. I don't know if you want to wait until you've heard all three before making a fair assessment. Yeah, let's do all three. Let's do all three. Should we do all three first, then we can assess it? Brilliant. Who Who's going next? I'll go next. I'm no way it's going to be 60 seconds. Mine's short and sharp. It's fine. That's fine. Uh, 
Right, okay. I'm addressing the lack of depth in the creative midfield area. As far as I can see, there's a fair enough amount of cover everywhere else. Um, obviously, James Madison is a great sign and he's nailed on to start. Obviously, Ben Tankor is most likely going to be the one that plays with him, but he's injured at the start of the season. Therefore, what you kind of need is a backup who is happy to be a backup, but also has a potential to be able to do it when, when called upon in the Premier League. Now, I am once again, trying to weaken our opponents in the championship. Uh, so <laughs> it's not, it's someone you'll, you'll all have heard of and it's someone uh, who probably has been linked before. From a team that finished 14th in the championship, he got one goal and five assists. His numbers were fairly similar last season in terms of expected assists and expected goals to Ben Tancor. 20 million value, 19-year-old team of the season attacking midfielder has two full seasons in the championship and at 19 years old has a potential to learn everything from Madison and be just as good uh my pick would be Alex Scott well it took you over a minute to even name him so that's impressive in, in itself. <laughs> but nonetheless you did actually finish it slightly quicker than Scott so that, that's, that's actually that's a really good really good pitch um I think you're you're right in that he's been touted by a couple of people in the past as a sensible transfer for a lot of clubs so uh Interesting, interesting. Thank you for that, Dave. Elio, can you uh, beat those two? Well, mine is nowhere near as original as either of theirs, but similar thought process to Dave's. I think we need some depth in midfield. I think we need uh, more creativity than just Madison, whether it's to play with him or instead of him. And uh, what I've gone for is someone who's coming into his prime as a midfielder. He's someone who you can rely on to be fit. In seven of the last eight seasons, he's completed 30-plus Premier League games, only missed two in the last four seasons. In fact, he's a natural leader for his team. And as we are a big step up for him won't expect to automatically be first excite but he could very feasibly be uh i have gone for james ward prouse he also adds that homegrown element which is something we're severely lacking he hits double figures in terms of goals and assists from much worse sides than us including last season as they were getting relegated great set pieces can't be ignored and last season despite the team he was playing in he was in the 86th percentile for expected assists and goals the 84th percentile for shot creating actions but to show he's an all-round midfielder, the 83rd percentile for interceptions, I think he'd be a very sensible signing. That's the fastest one. And he would weaken the championship rivals of Leeds United. <laughs> so that's There's another a consistent tip. theme here, isn't there? <laughs> First of all, that's the fastest one so far. So well done, Elio. You're not exactly renowned for your brevity with the greatest of respect. So that was very well done on your part there. The other thing is I, I've got this brilliant image now of us signing James Ward-Prowse and getting a free kick and Madison and James Ward-Prowse fighting over the ball before Harry Kane walks up and takes it out of their hands. <laughs> <laughs> it is well, I'm also, to try this time it's going to go in. <laughs> I'm also doubling down on a, on a thread I put out on Twitter a few months ago uh, off the back of a chat Sox and I had which basically said we have some very good midfielders we should get out Saar for some loan time because we're going to need three stars all together at any given time we should have Ward Prowse and Madison not one or the other so I'm very much sort of sticking to my guns on that three excellent choices I'd heard of two of them I must admit I'd not heard of the Kosovo and Messi John what are your thoughts having heard those three well I've got a video sitting in our back end on YouTube of why James Ward-Prowse is so good at ball striking and taking free kicks that I did with my good pal and colleague, Liam Tharm. We intended it to come out at some point in the season when he scored a free kick and he didn't score a free kick after we made the video. So if he moved to Spurs, that might be enough for us to be able to use that as a hook to get that video out. Yeah. So I have a soft spot for that. I'm not, I'm not sure if I would necessarily 
see that as being a good signing for Spurs for a number of reasons. I think that you'd be paying a lot of money for him for essentially like an average midfielder who's very good at free kicks. Um, mm. Whether or not that would be worthwhile, given that, as you've already mentioned, you have a number of different free kick takers who probably would be fine uh, to, to take those duties anyway. Would probably We have one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got Madison and Kane, yeah. so I'll give you I'll give you those two. Right? <laughs> Poro, Poro. Poro as well. Yeah, there you go. Um, Alex Scott. Yes, I've I've heard people talk about him. I haven't actually managed to watch him too much. I think he would be an exciting prospect. Um, I suppose the question is going to be readiness with him. Like, how quick would it take him to get up to speed? I suspect there'll be a lot of teams in for him, and that would. I, I guess my my question there would be: Is it the sort of player that we need at this point when we have other glaringly obvious problems um, mm. that need fixing. And then with Zagrova, who I have heard of, but I haven't watched him play. Again, the, the, the question is always going to be with a player like that, what's the scalability going to be like when you move him into the Premier League? What's the the step up going to, going to be like for him? If a player is called the Kosovo and Messi and is playing in Liga at the age of 24 <laughs> sort of raised questions about, <laughs> <That's a fair laughs> <point. laughs> about whether or not he is he is as good as he's set out to be so what were the what were the things that we were marking them out of originality so, originality presentation and sensibleness if that's even a word right well well Sock obviously has to have yeah. the originality um vote I think Elio, nowhere near with with James Ward Prowse. <laughs> sorry, no no originality there. Um, I'll give Dave. I'll give Dave the, the midway point through through that. So let's do an A for Sock on okay. that, a B for Dave, and a C for Elio. Right. Um, and then what was the sorry, what then, was the second one? Well, presentation. Presentation. Well, yeah, all all of them were fantastic. Not least the fact that all of you said, "Well, I'm not going to be a minute," and then spoke for <laughs> exactly. <over> a minute. Messed <laughs> um, up. I think that. Again, Elio needs needs I think praise for for being the shortest of the of the mm. three. So uh, I'm taking that into account. Uh, I thought that both Dave and Sock had some good lines in there as well, though. So uh, mm. this is a really really tough one to 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 call. So I will go with an A for Elio, and then B's for the Ooh. other two, and then sensibleness whew. should really be worth double this one. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, one of the one of the criticisms we always get when we do these videos is oh you know i've heard of that player mm. I, I basically want to do i want a video where you tell me players i haven't heard of like the kosovan messi <laughs> um <laughs> wh- why are you just talking about players who we've been linked to and the reality is is that for a team like spurs when they're looking for uh, players who can play in the positions that they need to fill there's probably about eight players who are of the level where they will improve spurs and of those, you know, how many of them will be available? So it's an incredibly difficult task to come up with sort of names that people haven't heard of for these sorts of positions. Yeah. So part of the reason why in our videos we've spent time trying to focus on the context is because I think that's the area that's much more interesting than the actual players that, that would be brought in. So, I mean, we talked about Harry Kane all evening, but Bayern Munich are trying to buy Harry Kane, according to reports. There's a reason why Bayern Munich are linked with someone like Harry Kane. There's a reason why they would be interested in players who are at the very, very elite level of the game who play as nines. Um, mm. And there are, you know, what, four or five of them and, and all of the big teams are looking for nines and they're all fighting over them and they, you know how it goes. So um, this all by way of saying that I didn't think any of them were particularly sensible. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hold on, guys. I'll, I think that... 
which one of the so this is a question which one of those three players could we plausibly see playing for Spurs next season well I had to google one of them so according to Danny Rose <laughs> definitely him <laughs> um, I think in terms of like in terms of Alex Scott yes he has the ceiling to be a Spurs player I think ironically uh, James Ward Prowse is probably the only one who you know would be able to play for Spurs yeah. Um, but as I've said, I think there's there's other reasons why I wouldn't necessarily call that sensible. And yeah, I wouldn't like to be drawn on Zagrova until I until I know a little bit more about him. Like his stats are great, but I would I would have to watch some tape and determine whether or not I felt that he would suit the step up, suit the style of play, etc. So I am going to give you I'm going to give you all B's on that. <laughs> I'm going to leave it up to Dags to work oh. out the scoring here. Work out how you add up A's, B's and C's and then come out with a winner. Well, I'm the only one that got a C, so I think that means I lose. Making a very brave assumption that I was keeping track. Um, I think there were there, were, there was an A for Elio in presentation and then B's for the other two. I think it was a C, was it C, B and A respectively for Elio, Dave and then Sock for I was B, B, B. Dave got three Bs, uh, I got B, A, B, C, and Sock got an A and two B's. B's. B's equal two. B's equal two, <laughs> A's equal three, and C's equal one. We're doing some maths now. So, Elio, what's Sox your score? Wins. I got A, B, C, Sox Dave wins. got B, 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 so Sox wins because he got an A and two Bs. I would like to say a special shout out to Elio, who I, I know it physically hurt you to read out some of those stat metrics, because I know you're not the biggest fan of some of these new age hipster football stats. <laughs> I could feel the pain in your voice when you said shot creating actions per 90. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves some credit for that. Annoyingly, I've, I've been reading about Eden Zagrover and he's been strongly linked with Arsenal, so oh, no. I've won. If he was like that warrior meme, <laughs> oh, like, wow. I've won, but at what cost? <laughs> 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 he's um, he's going to move to Arsenal now and be the best player <laughs> yeah. ever and uh, the cost of a Messi living up to his name <laughs> I do have one question based on what Dag has just said based on the fact that mm. you alluded to the fact that I am very much your sort of old knuckle dragging eye test fan <laughs> Do you feel it's better to form an opinion based on what you see and then look for the stats to back up what you've seen? Or do you think it's better to look at the stats, see what they show, and then see if what you see with your eyes backs it up? Or is there no right answer to that as far as you're concerned? I think people would be surprised to learn that I'm a massive eye test guy. Um, which isn't to say that I think that stats are useless. I obviously don't because I use them all the time in my presentations. But I think the, the the real benefit you get from stats is that it allows you to narrow things down quickly and easily, right? So anyone with a semi-decent knowledge of football can watch a game of football and roughly read the game, right? They can say, this team deserved to win probably on the basis of the chances. There's some games where you can argue the, the toss, but um, most of the time people have a sense of like what good chances are and, and which team deserves to win. Mm. When you do that over the course of a season, if I were to say to you on the basis now, looking back over the season of all their games, how many of Spurs games did you think they deserve to win? It starts becoming a little bit trickier mm. to start, you know, using your eye test in the big in terms of the big sample sizes, right? So mm. for me, the reason why stats are so useful is because you can say, okay, let's build a profile of a player that we're looking for. Let's fill those. Let's build metrics to match that profile. Let's filter for various things throw it through a database and boom, you get a shortlist of 50 players. And you can go through it and say, well, we can discount this player because they've got too long left on their contract, blah, blah, blah. Whittle it down to, I don't know, 15, 20. And then you give it to your scouts. And then you send your yeah. scouts away and say, 
what do you think of these of these players? And they'll say, this guy looks really great. looks like he can fit our system. This guy, no, straight away. And yeah, you're, you're essentially you're using, you're using um, both there. There's situations where I think that the data can tell us things as well. So a lot of the stuff that I do, I, f- I go with on gut instinct but then i'll often go to the data and say i think that you know this team's out of possession approach is working quite well at the moment look at the data doesn't seem to be the case work out why that is the case as well so it can go backwards and forwards both ways but i the the reason why we can't possibly not use data is because like i said it's just large sample sizes and it's simply impossible for us to i try and dispel that myth by watching as much football as i can but all you ever get i think from eye test stuff is like hunches about things mm-hmm. that you can back up by watching more things in the same vein and use the data to help you as well um, and i think there's been situations where i've watched eye test stuff and then changed my opinion on the basis of the numbers and there's been things where i've looked at the numbers and then changed my opinion on the basis of the eye test as well so I get that. um yeah sorry yeah. again not not an easy answer but i'm definitely someone who if, like, if people say to me oh what do you think of this player or this team my gut response is always just go and watch them mm. people, people say what can i read can i read have you got have you read anything good on this player or have you you know listened to any good podcasts on this i always say to people if you want to know what a, a player or a team is like just trust yourself and go and watch the tape, see what you think of it, um, have a look at the numbers if you want, and make your opinions on the basis of that. It's because I think that we far too often make out that that people can't um, assess things without an expert eye. Now, obviously, when you watch as a fan, it's always difficult to distinguish yourself, and it, you have to teach yourself to become a better watcher of the game. But I think people all have the ability of being able to do that with a bit of time and patience and it's like anything it's a skill that you pick up and learn um so yeah, yeah i'm a big eye test guy but i use data because it makes my life easier as an eye test guy so awesome to bring it full circle like i, w- I was just going to say talking about musa dembele at the beginning i can't tell you the amount of frustrating conversations i had with people or you listen to sky sports and it'd be someone like graham Sooners, and it's like oh well he only scored three goals a season and we had this exact same thing with luka modric and it felt like there was a clear distinction between people who watch match of the day and watch gareth Bale <laughs> run the length of the pitch and people who are watching spurs week in week out and saw the player that was actually running yeah, the game yeah. so but people are saying luka modric is not a good footballer then you can be yeah. sure as hell they don't know anything about well, yeah, so. exactly <laughs> Yeah, what is it? Iniesta only scored something like twenty-five goals his entire time at Barcelona, or something like that. There, there are all these these stats. I mean, that just throw... barely scored any. Oh no, no, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, I, I think it's it's the whole kind of match of the day player thing that throws it out, isn't it? I think so many people only see highlights, and highlights are generally the things that only certain players will show you. So it's it's not certainly going to give you so much help. Um, John, if, if you find the time, it'd be great if you could have a quick word with my girlfriend and try and convince her to let me watch more football because I think that's where I'm falling down clearly. Uh, <laughs> but thank you for that answer that's great to hear and i think that's one of those kind of eternal unanswerable questions in football isn't it you know how do you assess it it's mm. like what's how do you approach it is it about results is it about winning or is it about playing the game the right way and one of those things that i guess will never truly answer i'm conscious this is getting on a little bit and i've had an absolute blast Look, like, and there's no rush there's no rush at all on my <laughs> part so don't worry I think about he's that. more worried about his editing no no <laughs> no i can make the extra effort here it's fine um i was gonna say does anyone else have any questions while we're on the kind of just general throwing things out there questions for john or any points to raise about generally football statistics or about Spurs or, or, or transfers in general? Was there anything that we haven't touched on? 
I had a broader footballing one that has nothing to do with either Spurs or Leeds, but it it feels like there's a very distinct, almost like a, a footballing meta at the moment. It's almost like playing a video game where it's like, these guns are the best guns. And if you don't use these guns, you know, you won't win. How do you see, I'm not asking you to sort of uh, predict who the next sort of like messianic Guardiola is, who's going to, you know, kind of change football. But how do you see, or do you see football evolving beyond what we currently have with a few sort of system styles, whether you want to call them tiki-taka this, it feels like there's the school of Pep and the school of Klopp and most of the best sides kind of fall into, broadly speaking, one of those two. Do you think that is kind of like going to be fairly prevalent for the next, what, five or 10 years until someone comes along and says, this is the next thing, or is that too much of a reductive kind of explainer? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that maybe what we're seeing now is not so much stylistic evolution but i don't know how to mm. to word it but like phase of play idea shifts so for example yeah. I mean, yeah. you say who's the next pep i mean pep's the next pep because pep evolves all the time right if you look at the way that man city played last season and compare it to this season it's an inc- incredible it's worlds apart so you have you have those fundamental ideas that we talked about with positional play which is roughly speaking pep wants to use structure as a as a way of being able to control the game move the ball through lines of pressure and that's always going to be there for him but the way that he does that is different and then out of possession things have changed a lot as well for him so it used to be a lot more about control and I think now he realizes that he's had experiences in the Champions Mm. League where he recognizes that he controlled games and lost anyway now that he has Erling Haaland why not just gamble on you know, a, a little bit more of direct football and say, we've got Erling Haaland, so we're more likely to come out and top in a direct game of football as well. Which isn't to say that he then doesn't think about how do we make the conditions as favourable as possible for ourselves, which is why now he has a build-up unit of six-foot-plus monsters, essentially, right? If you look at that back line, they could feasibly be playing Joshko Gvardiol, Ruben Diaz, John Stones, yeah. Rodri, and um, yeah, Kanji or Aki or whoever you want to pick in those spots. There's a reason why he's doing that, and um, that's that's a very palpable evolution for me. That in terms of the out of possession ideas that match up with the way that he's doing the in possession stuff, it, it, it sort of works out. The Klopp angle is interesting because obviously Liverpool have gone through a fallow year, and I think I've just made a video today actually about whether or not their midfielders suit their system. And by their system, I mean their new system where they started inverting Alexander-Arnold inside, using him as a pivot, not getting any width from their fullbacks anymore, actually having to use their centre midfielders for width. It's a weird shift because he's basically doing like Pep Guardiola things, but not getting any of the benefits from Pep Guardiola things from that structure Mm. because they aren't using necessarily positional ideas a lot. So actually what ends up happening is you invert Alexander-Arnold, you have a bit more cover in the middle, which is useful if you keep getting counted on. Mm. But you're also moving Alexander-Arnold inside, which means that he's got a much broader range of passing open to himself. So you're not really playing as a pivot player. He's almost playing as like a deep-lying playmaker to the side of the pivot. I don't think it suits them in the long run. I think they've brought in some new midfielders because they're going to move back to that old pep system of the 4-3-3 width from the fullbacks, making sure your counter-press mm. is good so you don't need to worry too much about getting caught in behind. 
So, but again, that you're seeing that sort of shift within a system. So there's still ideas that are there with Klopp. It's still the high, you know, gay compressing approach in certain situations, but it's being, it's maybe just, a, maybe it's more of a, the, the philosophical term would be syncretism where like religions start borrowing ideas from each other and you end up with like a mm. general concept of religion rather than this religion versus that religion. Um, but I also think that, the, you know, there's plenty of new sources for ideas. There's, you know, Roberto De Zerbi's coming through. And again, there's another area where Pep is evolving mm. is that Roberto De Zerbi's showing you what you can do with a double pivot in build-up. Pep then changes his system. So he's now using a de facto double pivot from the start in games. So John Stones is playing as a pivot player. And, you know, had they brought in Declan Rice, I'm sure they probably would have used Rice as that pivot player alongside Rodri. Then, I mean, further afield, you can talk about what's going on in South America with Fernando Denise, the Fluminense coach, who's now been made the coach of the Selecao. And and that's, you know, a movement back against the, the ideas of positional play that we talked about, which is you need, stru- you know, you need structure in order to be able to compete at the highest level. Actually, Denise is coming along and saying, maybe you don't need structure at the highest level. Maybe you can have yeah. a lot more of a free-flowing game where, you know, the structure isn't spatial, rational spatial occupation across the field. Maybe you can get your players close together and use a different, more fluid structure yeah. in order to get upside as well. So there's definitely, I would say, you know, conurbations of new ideas that just keep bubbling to the surface. And I think what we're going to start seeing now is that there probably won't be many more big picture changes in terms of the approaches that you take. But what you will see is little ideas that change in phases of play. So build up ideas, out of possession ideas, final third ideas that people will borrow from from other places. And again, you also have that ongoing like constant shift, right? Where because the dominant teams play in this way, they have these weaknesses. So some teams will emerge who will then try and target those weaknesses and you get the sort mm-hmm. of almost, I, would, I don't want to say cyclical because I don't think that, I don't think football is cyclical. I think it sort of spirals upwards where you're constantly seeing the same sorts of ideas repeated, but with additional things added to, to carry them beyond what they were before as well. So yeah, sorry, again, a bit of a roundabout way of answering that question, but a really interesting question. There are no new stories, just new ways to tell them, as they say. Um, interesting, yeah. you brought that up a couple of points. Um, I actually, funnily enough, watched video by football meta on youtube a quick shout out entitled is relationism the next big thing and i think that's what you were alluding to a minute ago in terms of the brazilian school of uh, packing one side of the pitch and doing these quick kind of overlaps and then freeing up space sure. on the other side so sure. I'd, I'd urge anyone to kind of have a look at that and in, on the topic of new themes emerging and repeating themselves i think it's interesting that guardiola has kind of revived the wm if you look at it at least on paper and it's weird that every time I see somebody putting up an ideal dream team of their respective club on Twitter nowadays, they're trying to use that formation. And I can't help but roll my eyes a little bit and think, okay, great, it's working for him. They've got the right players and they've had to, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've had to play around and try Rico Lewis. And obviously you made a brilliant video about John Stones and, and how important he is to that role. Trent Alexander-Arnold is kind of a one-of-a-kind player. He's kind of performing that. It's probably not quite as simple. The Liverpool example, though, is good yeah. because I think with the Liverpool example, what we're seeing isn't really – everyone's just saying box midfield, right? Yeah. Pep Guardiola yeah. does it. Therefore, it will work for anyone, right? If Leeds had played a box midfield under Sam Allardyce, it would have been better <laughs> than than not, yeah. Um, which is yeah clearly not true. But the thing that frustrates me is that tactical identity is always more – fundamental than than those sort of structural takes. So when mm. Liverpool invert their fullback, it doesn't look anything like what Man City are doing because Man City have completely different fundamental ideas operating behind the scenes, right? We've already talked about how there's positional ideas for Pep Guardiola, less so with someone like Jurgen Klopp, who's much more of a kind of gegenpressing slash 
more direct build-up kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always going to be the case. There's always going to be those fundamental ideas and, the, you know, you can change the structures, but it, it doesn't mean to say that, you know, everyone should be doing this. I, I get a bit frustrated with everyone just being like box midfields now, box yeah. midfields. And, yeah. then, and then people then suggesting, oh, you know, the solution to a box midfield is a diamond midfield because <laughs> all you're doing is you're taking the four and then you're twisting it around and now they're all like inhabiting the spaces between the, the box. As though, like, the majority of teams now in the central midfield areas aren't largely just doing man-to-man marking anyway. So regardless of where your four midfielders are in the middle, they'll still be being tracked by the opposition. Yeah. And so people get people get enamoured by structure when you know there's more in- interesting questions to be asked, I think. Yeah, I think there's a bit of PTSD with Spurs fans when it comes to diamond midfields. I know, Elio, you've spoken at length about your disdain for them in the past, but it is funny how people think it's just simple to just look at the team that are doing well and say, all right, well, let's just do that then. It's never quite that simple, is it? Um, I did have a section here, Mark, for the next half an hour to talk about why the Eagles should have just flown the one ring into the fires of Mount Doom. But <laughs> if it's okay with you, John, I think we'll just skip over that part and just go straight to uh, wrapping I think things up. That argument has been settled. I think has it's it? clear that. Yeah, it's just a horrendous Deus Ex Machina uh, that, that people explain away. I love I love the movies, yeah, but yeah. I fall in that camp absolutely. Yeah, maybe maybe for the next episode, we'll leave that one for the sequel, shall we? We'll, <laughs> we'll come back to that at some point. But just quickly, I just wanted to get a very just a very quick uh, kind of gut feeling where Spurs going to finish next season. Dare I ask? How do you think we're going to do? Oh man, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm desperate that Ange Postecoglou makes it at Spurs. Mm. So I'm definitely biased in that respect. But I think the, the problem with that is that it makes me worried uh, about things. So I'm like way too invested in it. But it's it's a very, very hard league to even read at the moment, the Premier yeah. League, right? There's so much money now amongst all of the teams that there's a, there's a sort of top, there's a top six or seven of big teams now. And on top of that, a couple of sensible teams on the side, all of which makes it very, very hard to, to pick where where things should go. But in terms of what do I think would be a good return for Spurs next season? Mm. I think if you can finish in the top six, that would be fantastic. I think that should be the aim. But equally, I don't think it's I don't think it's the end of the world if you just manage a top f- half of the table finish. Yeah. There's plenty of teams, you know, in in recent years you've gone on to become very good teams who've started off by having a, a mid-table finish yeah. and I think that the, the good thing about Ange is that he earns people's patience mm. and I think that's a really important quality as a coach because it's very clear that he's a good bloke it's also very clear that he has ideas about what he wants to happen and I think when you watch his teams play it's clear that he has ideas and I think the, the combination of those things together means that people give him a huge amount of buy-in. I mean, Spurs fans clearly absolutely love the guy. Oh, we're sold. Um, yeah. And that's that's what happens, right? I fell in. I started watching him at Celtic and I absolutely fell in love with him through his time there as well. So, you know, this is what happens. So the big, I guess the big question is how long grace period does that buy him if things don't go well? Um, mm. Again, like it's not something I necessarily want to dwell on because I'm invested in it working out. But I still feel as though you know, if you if you can have him for a season and you get a mid-table finish, but you can see that there's ideas there, and you kind of feel like with a couple more windows, bringing a few players who can solve some of the problems that exist, then that will be a good rate of return. But I would I would love to see you guys get a, at least a top six finish and just look competitive yeah. against some of the teams at the top because you guys have had a, a <laughs> few years of it and. Yeah. I think that what all you guys really need is 
it's a season where you feel as though you're invested in something. That's what Pochettino And is, you haven't yeah. had that for a few seasons. So as long as there's enough there for you guys to feel as though you're invested, yeah. then I think that that will be a successful season yeah, as well. That's just it. I, I think it's uh, it's always a bit silly, isn't it? Speculating too much, especially when we have more transfers to come. But I don't want to speak on behalf of all Spurs fans, but I imagine the Spurs fans here will agree with me that it almost doesn't matter where we finish within reason. As long as we play the kind of football that we want to see, we have a bit of fun and it looks like something is taking shape. And I hate to bring it back to those guys on the other side of North London slash Woolwich, um, but we saw how long that took to come together and we reluctantly use that as a blueprint for what we have to kind of follow and trust in taking a time to to click. And I imagine this is something that might take a little while to click, especially given, as we've discussed, how far away we are from the style we want to play and how far away the squad is, or potentially could be, from arriving at where we need it to be. It's also worth adding that Ange Postacoglu has never worked with players of this talent level before. True, yeah. So there's going to be a sense in which, you know, it could it could click quicker. It could mm. you could maybe see upsides that we haven't seen from him previously as well. So I, I do think it's worth having a level of like optimism about that that actually his approach is very scalable, right? You take him in one team, you move it into another team and you I think that, you know, he's he was playing elite tactic tactics for a, a team not in the elite level. And now you move it up yeah. to the elite level. And I think that you should be confident that, you know, there will be that that scalability there. Fingers crossed. We will see. Well, we will, of course, be keeping a very close eye on Ange Postacoglu and Spurs and the rest of the window. And of course, how that starts to take shape. We'll probably be back, I imagine, before, well, right before the season. Unless something dramatic happens, like Harry Kane suddenly flies off to Bayern Munich and we'll have to do an emergency podcast or something like that. I imagine the next time you hear from... Uh, the majority of us, at least, will be right before the season. Um, just quickly, while I'm here, let's go through the the usual housekeeping. Please follow us on Twitter. We are at Plus Dave Podcast. I'm at Plus Dave Dags. Elio is at, I always get this wrong, Elio underscore P underscore THFC. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Dave is at Fantasy Dave. Socks doesn't have a Twitter because Socks is far too cool for Twitter. How I envy him. John, you're almost too cool for Twitter, but I believe you are on it. I've messaged you on there and is at, is it at John underscore McKenzie? That's right. I am definitely not cool. That is why I'm, that is why I'm on Twitter. <laughs> See, first name underscore surname's a thing. It's not just me. There you go. There you go. We love you. We love an underscore. And, and of course you can be found at many other places on the wide web. Can you tell us just a bit more about where we can consume John McKenzie content and what you've got coming up in the works? Yeah, so the, the most of my stuff is going out on the TIFO IRL channel yeah. on YouTube. So if you head over there, you'll be able to find our stuff on that. We do also have TikTok and Ooh, You're definitely cooler than us Instagram. then. You're much cooler than us if you uh, have TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my videos often make it to the short form because they're just too dense and boring. So, um, yeah, but then we do have those things as well. Uh, we also have our big illustrated channel, which is animated videos, which cover football tactics, but also the cultural aspects of the game as well. And there's lots of really, really interesting stuff over there. And we've just started doing short form videos over on that. So yeah, if that's your thing, if you're a Gen Z and you can't last for one hour 42 of this podcast, then head over there and get your your bite-sized chunks of information in 50 second periods. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not sure what kind of Gen Z contingent we have in our listener base, but I imagine we probably scared most of them away at some point or another. Uh, you, you've made some sensible chats for yourself recently. I noticed um, Alex, aka Euro Expert, has joined the team, which is very exciting for, uh, for all of us. So uh, go and check him out on there as well. And um, if by any chance, listeners, you're not familiar with the TFO Football Podcast or TFO IRL or any of the YouTube content, please go and check it out. It's excellent stuff. John features among many other recurring guest stars. So go and check that out. I should also say that I'm in charge of the podcast you now. Are- Oh, um, indeed. So do go do go and listen to that because if you don't if you don't then I'll probably get fired or something. So <laughs> I love it. Um, brilliant. Well, um, was there before we wrap things up? Is there any any closing points from any of the others? Anything that we haven't touched on? Oliver Skip is a European champion. Congratulations! <laughs> what a trophy for Spurs. I'm hoping against hope that Postacoglu on the first day of the season brings about the similar wonderful feelings that John and I would have got. On Bielsa's first game, you know, if if you can if you can feel thirty yeah. percent of how that felt like, then you'll be in for Go a ride. So fingers crossed for you let's, guys. Let's hope. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. Viva la posta cogluthion. Doesn't quite <laughs> roll off the tongue, does it? But we'll take it. <laughs> it's, the, it's the thought that counts. That's, that's it, well, I'm trying to work out. I'm trying to work out an alliterative equivalent of Bielsa burnout. Is it posta coglu panting? <laughs> <laughs> It's normally around this point of the podcast where it becomes painfully apparent that we've all run out of caffeine and probably need to wrap things up. Um, Socks, did you have did you have something to say, or are you just resting your hand against your head? It looks like you have your hand up. No, uh, no, no, the, the, the latter, the resting. The resting. Oh, it was okay. Brilliant. <laughs> the resting. It's late. <laughs> well, uh, I think on behalf of everyone, John, once again, honestly, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love having you on the show, and uh, obviously, looking forward to seeing what you bring us on TFO IRL and as the uh, the host of the TFO podcast as well. I will, of course, be a keen listener and. For the rest of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this and I hope you're as excited about the season to come as we all are. As I said earlier, we will be coming back to you at some point between now and the start of the new season to look at all of the sensible transfers that we've done between now and then and to revise our predictions for the season and see if we're more hyped or less hyped and see if we're back down to earth or if we're sneakily hoping for a title charge. But either way, we will be there come thick or thin. I hope to have as many of you as possible back for that. In the meantime, you stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you next time.